Welcome to the EIM Global Podcast, the place where we speak to experts from across education, academia and industry, so we can contribute to the professional conversations happening in our communities now. The discussions we have and insights shared by guests help develop our own thinking and work, and hopefully spark further dialogue from other educators too, as they reflect on their practice and the students they work with. In this episode, we're speaking to Dr. Victor Lim Fei. Dr. Lim Fei is Assistant Professor at the National Institute of Education, Nanyang Technological University, Singapore. He researches and teaches on multiliteracies, multimodal discourse analysis, and digital learning. We cover a lot of ground in this short episode, exploring multiliteracies and multimodality, the shifting views of the role of teachers, student agency, and areas Victor's moving on to research in, ranging from digital play to embodied meaning making. But enough from me. Let's step into this episode right now and hear from our guest, Victor Limfei. Victor, welcome. Um, I'm so excited to have you joining us on the podcast. I've been lucky enough to be an attendant at some of the sessions that you've run previously here in Singapore and uh, for colleagues of ours up in Shanghai as well and and really enjoyed those. So very excited uh, to have a conversation with you today about some of your interests and, and area of research. But how are you this week? I mean, what have you been uh, what have you been focused on? Thank you very much, Crispian. It's a genuine pleasure to be here. Really glad to uh, be part of what you are doing. Well, um, we have completed our semester here at the National Institute of Education. So this week really has been a focus on my research project, which we are trying to wrap up, uh, finalizing the, the the report. I have a research project on multiliteracies that I can speak a little bit more on later on. So. Yeah, my days this week really has been on finalizing the research report, the lesson packages that we are preparing for the teachers for dissemination. That sounds really interesting. How long has this report been going on? What kind of length of time did it take you to put something like that together? Oh, it was, um, the project started in 2019. So it was a three-year-long project. We worked with a number of teachers, uh, four teachers in uh, four schools, two secondary and two primary. It was fairly intensive because we attended their lessons, we co-designed the lesson with them, and we wanted to use this as an opportunity to develop lesson examples of how multiliteracies can look like in the primary and secondary classroom. At the same time, we were also very interested in the growth of the teacher. So what we wanted to do through the research project is a design-based research project. So we wanted to have a sense of the teacher's um, growth in confidence uh, in the teaching of multiliteracies as well as their competence uh, in the teaching of multiliteracies. And of course, we were very glad that towards the end of the project, we saw our participating teachers started to lead other teachers in their schools. They, would, they started conducting seminars on multiliteracies and also leading other teachers in the development of uh, lesson packages across the different levels as well. So, so that was very encouraging. That's great. I'm, I'm really interested actually in the, in the multiliteracies conversation. Uh, so we'll jump into that in just a moment. But right. it must have been a challenge, I think, since 2019 then with, with obviously COVID getting in the way of some of that. So that must have been difficult working with schools, I guess, throughout that period. I would say that the teachers showed an incredible amount of resilience and, and they were enthusiastic. So we, we did have to make certain decisions like to switch over to blended learning or online learning for some of the lessons. But the teachers, they were incredible in terms of partnering us through the journey. And some of the lessons, are, well, we would have liked to see a little bit more collaboration amongst the students in the, in the classes that we have had. That was not possible because of the COVID-19 restrictions. But I think we, we, we do with, uh, what we can. And um, I think despite the challenges that was faced, the, the teachers made a, a, a very substantial contribution. And I think at the end of it all, it was a set of lesson packages that I can say that we are all very proud of. That's, that's wonderful. I couldn't agree more. 
on the point that you make about the effort, the energy and the, the contribution that teachers have made throughout this period. I mean, obviously, we've been working with our group of schools very closely, but connected with teachers globally. And the challenges, you know, have kept coming, haven't they, in, in some parts of the world and colleagues in China at the moment, of course, having, uh, you know, ongoing challenges, but, you know, phenomenal pulling together collaborative effort and some wonderful outcomes for students in what a very trying time. So absolutely agree with you on that one. Before we do turn to multiliteracies in a bit more detail, though, just it'd be really interesting to understand your journey uh, or a little bit about that, you know, in, into the work you're doing now and, and academia, I suppose, um, from, if I get this right, you know, originally a, a classroom background. That's right. I, I started as a teacher and I, I taught general paper, which is advanced uh, English at a junior college in Singapore. And after that, I went on to do my PhD in the area of uh, applied linguistics and uh, multimodality in education. So through the process, when I was doing my PhD, I think one of the interests that I had really was how can I apply the kind of knowledge that I'm learning into the classroom? So, so that really directed a lot of the focus of my research. After my PhD, I had the privilege of joining the Ministry of Education. I was with the Educational Technology Division. I was a specialist there and I became the deputy director looking after technologies for learning. And in my role, I was exploring how technology can be used to improve the teaching and learning experiences in the classroom. So given my experience and my background, I, I think that has shaped the kind of research focus that I'm doing right now at the National Institute of Education. Wonderful. So that feels like a great opportunity to come back then to multiliteracy itself and just sort of dig into that in a little bit more detail. So for listeners that you know, perhaps aren't familiar with, with those terms, multimodality, multiliteracies, perhaps you could just give us a bit of background. You know, what is multimodal literacy as you understand it? Uh, and why, for you, do you think that's such an important area of work? Thanks for the question. Now, the term multiliteracies was uh, first proposed and introduced to the world by the New London Group in 1996. And the reason why they have introduced this term was essentially to expand our understanding of literacy beyond language learning to include, number one, the diversity that we see in our students today, the kind of different experiences that they bring with them to the classroom. And number two, the recognition that the way we communicate today is intensely multimodal. And when I say multimodal, it means that we are communicating not just with words alone, but we are experiencing text through images, through animation, through music, through sound. Now, this recognition of multimodality is not new. Since time immemorial, communication has always been multimodal. But the fact of the matter is that in the digital age that we are living in, the affordances of digital technology has enabled young people to create uh, multimodal text that can look very professional as well. So digital technologies has also immerse us in a world that is saturated with multimedia. So the fact of the matter is that in the world today, when we talk about the digital age, when we think about the contemporary communication environment, hardly do we make meaning with words alone. The texts that we experience are filled with images, animation, sound, uh, music. And as a result, I think it's important to my work as a researcher, as an education researcher, because the two central questions that, that drives a lot of my work, number one would be, what are we teaching our young learners today to become future ready? So what should we be teaching in the curriculum? What should we be teaching in the lessons to help them 
to be ready for the world of tomorrow. And the second question re really is how should we be engaging them? How should we be teaching them to become future ready? So, so like I say, multiliteracy really is about broadening literacy beyond language learning to recognize that communication is multimodal in nature. And in engaging our students, we need to be able to engage them on the ground of their life experiences. So do you think that students today coming into school, because of the day-to-day -day experiences they're having you know, with media and I suppose, multimedia, probably as a natural part of their, of their lives, I suppose, do you think they feel that they're coming to school and there's a difference then between, I guess, the sort of the school world, the academic world in that sense, and perhaps what they experience outside of that. And, and is that what you recognise in schools in, in here in Singapore and perhaps elsewhere? Absolutely. I, I think one of the agenda of multiliteracy really is to bridge the seemingly disconnect between what the students are experiencing in their life work out of school with what we are teaching uh, them in schools. So sure, there's the aspect of the academic knowledge that we want to help them develop in, but also we want to connect the kind of teaching and learning experiences they have in the classroom with what they're experiencing in the life world so that they are able to see the relevance of what they are learning so that they will be equipped with kind of um, critical literacies that they can engage with the multimedia text that they see in the life world. I suppose, you know, thinking about the time I've spent in schools myself, you know, I, I would be able to point to certain subject areas where perhaps there was quite obvious focus on multimodality, you know, perhaps in, in media studies courses and, and some digital arts courses and, and so on. Do you, do you think multimodality is applicable beyond those sorts of you know, narrow subject areas? And, and would you be looking to see that from an engagement point of view, from a, a future ready point of view in a broader range of subject areas across school today? Um, that, that's a very good question. One of the research projects that was done in the early 2000s by uh, Professor Gunter Kress and colleagues in London was to look at the representation in science textbooks over the years. So they look at science textbooks in the 1960s, and then they look at the science textbooks which they were uh, in the 1990s, uh, early 2000s. And one of, the, one of the things they noted was that um, the textbooks have changed to be a lot more multimodal in nature using pictures, colors, images to communicate um, the meaning. And the question they had was then, what is lost and what is gained when the mode of representation shifts from a more linguistic focus to one that is more multimodal in nature? So I think with that regard, extensions to the question would be in terms of how we are representing knowledge in the different subjects. So for instance, when you talk about um, science, um, when we represent certain knowledge through a diagram, certain charts, as opposed to words, what are some of the ways in which the images can afford new forms of meanings to be made as opposed to how the meanings could be made in words? Does that make sense? It, it maybe does. I, maybe, I, yeah, maybe I explain a little. Like For instance, you talk about words. It's better at representing temporal meanings. So it's better at representing time because we have a system of tense. Right, so I am speaking to you, I was speaking to you. When I use the English language, I'm already committed to how, uh, to the system of time, and I need to communicate time to that. But when I represent meaning with images, instead of uh, it being time-based, I will be committed to the use of space. So I have to decide on the proportion, how it looks, how big it is, where is it positioned uh, in, in relation to the page itself. 
So the, the mode that we use in communication will force us to commit certain meanings. And some of the modes are better at expressing specific types of meanings than others. So it, it seems to me, from what you're saying, that you know, the, the, the teacher, the educator, as a learning designer, as a designer of learning, becomes... I guess, increasingly important when we start to recognize the complexity of some of those things. Uh, and I think often, you know, when we start talking about what's afforded by technology, as you said earlier on, there's a bit of an idea that this sort of technology will, will take the role of teachers in some way. You know, we can, we can jump on the internet now and we can learn from a YouTube video or we can uh, have some sort of AI program feeding us, you know, adaptive questions and so on. But it sounds to me like what you're saying really implies the opposite, that, that the importance of a teacher as the learning designer uh, constructing and thinking very carefully about the different modes that might support a learning journey for a student is increased by this new set of affordances. Would you say that's true? The, the dominant ways of thinking about the role of a teacher has shifted, obviously, over, the, over time. I mean, in the past, we see the teacher as the knowledge authority the stage on the stage, uh, but this is no longer true, especially in the digital age where the, the students are also becoming, well, increasingly they recognize that the teachers do not have all the answers, right? Because um, they're able to access answers very easily through a search on Google, through reading, different, uh, accessing different types of resources. So the teacher uh, is no longer just a knowledge authority in the classroom. And then um, the other very popular view of the teacher is that the teacher is a facilitator of learning. Um, so for facilitating the kind of interaction that the child has uh, between the teaching resources and the interactions they have with one another. And I think that is true to a large extent as well because uh, moving away from the view that the teacher is the knowledge authority, the teacher as a facilitator of learning uh, focuses a lot on the classroom processes. But more recently, there's a recognition, um, especially if you take on the meaning-making lens on teaching and learning, that the teacher is a designer of learning experience. So, so incorporating both, that, that there are aspects during the lessons in which the teacher needs to be the knowledge authority in terms of sharing certain seminar authoritative information with the students, as well as modeling, guiding the students in terms of how to make sense of certain texts, for instance. There'll be um, aspects in which uh, there will be occasions in which the teachers need to facilitate the learning processes in the classroom. But a designer of learning really take a step back in terms of thinking about the kind of learning experiences that they want to design for their students during the lesson. So it takes the teacher to think about the kind of resources that they are using in terms of the digital resources, the kind of knowledge representation the digital resources can offer the students. They also think about the, their use of pedagogy, for instance, their, their use of words, the use of um, gestures and space in the classroom and how that can affect the students' learning. As a designer of learning experience, they also think about the kind of outcomes the students will achieve through the lesson and whether these outcomes is best achieved through, for instance, a group discussion, making of a certain artifact or a written reflection that the student produces. So, so teacher as a designer of learning invites them to take a step back and to think about the whole uh, lesson experience as a discourse for them to design and then to implement in the lesson. So with, with digital technologies having that influence perhaps on, on the changing role of a teacher in, in some respects, and, and you've very helpfully kind of articulated some of the shifts or some of the stages of those shifts over the last few years, I'm interested then in 
What does that mean for student agency? Because we've talked about the teacher a little bit here, but student agency, you know, again, is another hot topic. Lots of conversation in educational circles about that. Where do you see student agency coming into this picture? And again, you know, is it the digital environment that has, has changed the conversation there or, or something else? So one of the things that I want to also add to the earlier conversation is that um, digital technology would allow the teacher to have uh, a greater range of tools that they can use to design the learning experience. So they see teaching as an act of meaning making and in and, and the digital technologies will afford them the the tools, the resources to design for different types of learning experiences that the students can have. So that is teaching as meaning making. Now the multimodal or the uh, meaning making lens also view learning as meaning making. So what, what does this mean? It means that it's, um, the child learns when a child is guided by her interests and then exercises her agencies to engage with the ideas, experiences, and texts. So uh, the sense of choice is very important. The sense of agency is very important because you can, you can put a textbook in front of the child or you can make the child go through a lesson. But if the child is not interested in learning, nothing, nothing will really happen. If you take the view of learning as design, uh, what we are interested in is how learning is happens when a child actively design meanings for herself. So the designing of meaning can be inwardly as the child makes sense of the information that, they, that she receives or outwardly in terms of writing an essay, producing a collage or making a certain artifact. And as such, when a child designs meaning, um, the child's exercising of agency and having that choice is very important. And this is especially so in the digital environment because then again, the choice has the, the child has different options uh, in terms of the, 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 the pathways of learning, the resources they want to assess for learning. There is the idea of agency in relation to seeing learning as meaning-making. So it seems in, in some sense that what the you know, newer digital affordances you know, perhaps enable is just an even greater... A range of possibilities for the exercising of student agency, I suppose, and in, in the, the choice around that meaning making that you referred to with students. What do you think schools, you know, can do today to really help students, you know, enable themselves in this way or gain these skills, you know, be more agentic in that sense? You know, what, what do you think that that does in terms of changing what a school experience is for students? That's, that's a very, very good question as well. Let me, let me see. Now, we, we, when we adopt the lens of learning as meaning-making, we want to give the child agency and to give them the opportunity to exercise choice. But in the work that we do with Singapore schools on the multiliteracy uh, research project that we talked about just now, it's not all that straightforward. I know, I know that the notion of uh, agency and choice is almost instinctive. It's very much part of um, education systems, perhaps in Scandinavia, in Europe, European uh, countries. European countries, but in the Asian context, um, the idea of giving students choice and allowing them to exercise agency may not be so intuitive in the classroom, may not be so uh, straightforward as well. Now, recent research has talked about the importance of a scaffolding balance. So what, what this means is that there's a need for the teacher to consider the extent of guidance offered to the child, not to constrain, but to provide the kind of necessary conceptual and technical resources and also to think about the extent of choices for the students to stretch them and to go beyond 
their comfort zone. So in, in the multi-literacies project that I have, I mean, it was interesting. We, we had a class, a primary school, well, two classes at a primary school level, primary four students. And what we wanted to, them to do was essentially the teachers design a learning package for them to ultimately produce a product review video themselves. So it could be a toy review video or it could be a food review video. And they, and they need to go through the process of learning the kind of uh, conceptual and technical resources involved. They, they, they had to storyboard and then eventually uh, film and present the, the video. And one of, and, and of course, the students enjoyed the learning experience. And after that, we, we interviewed the students to ask them what, what, their, what their thoughts and reflections were. And one of the students said, oh, I, I like the, the freedom for me to choose the topic of my video, I could choose any toy that I like or any food that I like and the teacher gave me unfettered, uh, almost unfettered freedom for me to design the video that I wanted it to, to be. And, and when I have this freedom, I don't even have to think very hard. And, and that struck us as well because we thought, hmm, does giving them total choice, of uh, total freedom of choice, restrain them because they are then very comfortable in their own comfort zone and, and will not stretch themselves to go beyond what they are comfortable in. So, so that was, that was, uh, that was a point of reflection that we have, whether should we just give them total freedom of choice or should we design the, the choices that we have available to them so that we can stretch them to explore topics that they may not otherwise do so. And of course, uh, related to this was the teacher's reflections. Um, many of the teachers that we interviewed felt rather uncomfortable uh, because they say that, well, we are not sure whether we were giving them sufficient guidance and support uh, in this particular task, uh, whether they were ready to embark on the, the, the project on their own. So again, uh, the, the question we had after that particular study was in relation to the extent of guidance that we wanted the teachers to have. So providing sufficient or ne the necessary conceptual and technical resources to get the students started, but yet not constraining them in terms of the freedom to design and produce their own videos. So fascinating. It's one of those classic examples, isn't it? Of you, you, get in, you get involved in something, you start asking some interesting questions, and then, of course, that poses more questions to, to dig into, and there's so much there. Coming to the, the sort of the latter part of our conversation here today, and maybe you've already pointed the direction here, but, I mean, what are you, what are you looking now to sort of go on to, to work on? Is the research project going to get extended in the way that, uh, in the direction you just described, or are there other things that you're going to start to turn your attention to, perhaps in a multiliteracy space or, or elsewhere? I think one of the things that I have just completed working on will be the research project that I have talked about. And one of the outcomes of the research project is a book on designing learning for multiliteracies that will be out uh, later this year. So in, in that particular book, we will share with the readers experiences um, that the teachers have across different case studies in designing different types of learning experiences for the students' development of multimodal literacy. And the book also contains vignettes from the teachers, so, so that's great because you hear the voices of the teachers directly. Now that the project is coming to an end, I'm turning my attention to another area of interest, uh, and that is on the aspect of digital literacies and digital play. I, I, I would say that my kids actually inspire a lot of the kind of research that I do. And recently, I've been looking at what my kids are doing on YouTube videos, playing the games in uh, Minecraft, playing games on Roblox. And one of the questions I have really is whether are they learning anything from the games? Are there any so-called literacies involved when they build virtual worlds in Minecraft? 
And I'm interested in the area of digital literacies because I, I think that Singapore in particular is moving towards the vision of uh, being a smart nation. And of course, the question is, what are the kind of digital literacies that we want our students to have in order for them to engage with the well, the world of the future in that regard? And, and, and I have a research project that uh, I have um, proposed and it is based on a colleague's work in the EU looking at developing various dimensions of digital literacy to include things like multimodal orchestration, the use of digital technologies, transversal skills such as the ability to, to work with others, and also intercultural communication. So digital literacy is unpacked into four dimensions. And what we wanted to do is to look at the framework that has been developed and transform the framework into a set of instruments for us to measure the digital literacy profiles of students so that we are able to have a sense of what in which dimension are they strong in and which dimension do we need a little bit more work on. So, so that is one area of work that I'm interested in. I think if I take a step back after my uh, multi-literacies project and having worked with the classrooms in Singapore, I think the focus of my work in the next few years really will be to address the question of how we can rebalance the cognitive focus that we have in teaching and learning in our classroom and to bring a little bit more of the effective dimension to recognize a little bit more of the embodied meaning-making that we can have in the classroom as well as to bring the digital in teaching learning. So rebalancing the cognitive focus with the effective embodied and digital uh, so that our classroom will really be a little bit more holistic. Sounds like a second podcast we'll have to bring you back on for and have a conversation about because I've heard you talk a little bit in the past about the sort of emphasis and the, the cognitive orientation in, in uh, you know, schools today and historically. So be very interested to, to hear how that work develops, but, um, but also the, the work you were talking about a moment ago in terms of you know, digital play and what that means. And, and we've been quite interested in some of the work that's been done around looking at the pedagogical principles that are, are at work within games that, as we all know, many students today globally spend a lot of time uh, invested in. So equally interested in, uh, in the work that you're doing there. Sounds fascinating. Maybe it's three podcasts we'll have to do <laughs> but look victor thank you so much for your your time today i am well aware that we could have gone on for, for much much longer and we've scratched the surface of, of what are some some big and, and chewy topics here certainly and, and i'd love to give readers and, and listeners the opportunity i suppose to, to follow up in a bit more detail so where for people that are listening to us today can they find you where where is it best to follow your work for colleagues across the schools that would like to know more i guess the easiest is just to Google my name and you will find that there will be websites that I have both with the Nanyang Technological University as well as my personal website and from there there will be links to resources, papers uh, that I have published as well as um, other interesting resources related to the topic of multiliteracies and digital learning that could be helpful. That's fab and we'll include the link to that in the show notes as well so listeners can jump straight to that but for Victor, thank you once again for your time. I know you're, you're very busy, there's lots going on as you described today, a fascinating conversation a lot I'd love to, to have a follow up conversation with you about and understand in a bit more detail so really just uh, thank you again for your time and good luck with those future projects thank you very much Crispian. it's a pleasure to be here well that was dr victor lim fei assistant professor at the national institute of education nanyang technological university singapore really good of you to give up your time to speak to us so thank you victor again for joining us on this episode of the podcast don't forget you can follow up with victor via his website linked in the show notes now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one, and don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.